0: Hands yeah. high!
1: It's a dig! happy friday unfortunately you're gonna start with mad jack i'm sorry about it uh today is uh july 1st oh my goodness gracious welcome to july new power rankings up on uh just baseball.com later today so we'll tell you that the yankees are still the best team the a's are still the worst team but the intrigue is gonna be everywhere in between arm Leighton.
0: yeah i mean it, it's funny it seems like the best teams are really solidifying themselves as the best teams and the worst teams are doing that too uh but There's a lot of fun in the middle and there's a lot of identity crisis within the middle of the pack of the league right now. And guess what? You said it, Jack, it's July 1st. That deadline will creep up quickly. And maybe the most intriguing part about the deadline is baseball is a 162 game season. And these two weeks leading up to it, sometimes, you know, when you get to like the 14th to 15th, how those teams do in a span of like, 12 to 14 days determines whether they're buyers or sellers, which is the funniest thing uh, in the grand scheme of things, but it's going to be really fun to see what direction these teams go this month.
1: It it was funny to watch the Cubs do it last year because they initially moved Jack Peterson and Peterson was just kind of a one-off. It was Peterson for Bryce ball straight up, but they were still trying to like thread this needle of let's see what happens with Rizzo, Bryant, and bias. We'll see if we can, you know, kind of figure it out and maybe make that playoff push. They sucked for two weeks, so they traded all three of them. We'll see what happens over the next, you know, two, three weeks. And July is the midway marker. We're going to hit game 81 of the MLB season. We're going to hit the all-star break. We're going to hit the trade deadline. This is the one month on the baseball calendar that probably um, sniffs NBA free agency, which I can't get enough of.
0: Yeah, and (laughs) NBA free agency is always the funniest thing in the world because the NBA is, literally a reality
1: TV show of real housewives of every yes, major market in America.
0: Correct. And they control the league like no other. And and I wish that there was a middle ground between MLB have in the players having zero control over anything and NBA where, you know, they, they run everything. Uh, but I love deadline time. And I thought the closest thing we got to, to anything NBA esque was that, right before the uh, lockout situation where yes. every team knew, like if we want to have any idea of what, what our team's going to look like throughout this lockout, we better make these moves now. Um, I'm hoping that we're going to see a little bit more aggression uh, from teams this year with the expanded playoffs. And that's why I'm a big fan of it too, is I think it in, it allows for more teams to feel like they're in it. It allows for more quote unquote buyers or at the very least less sellers Um, and you know, that, that's something that the game needs more of, uh, it needs less of the polarization. And I think this is what's going to be a really interesting first trade deadline with expanded playoffs.
1: Yeah. I think that is going to factor in big time, like you're saying. And I also know that we're going to talk about some teams that might be on the pendulum swing of going to buyers when you might not have necessarily thought that they were going to be buyers before this season. But I mentioned I'm angry right now. I'm going to tell you why I'm angry before we get to everything else and all the good stuff about baseball. I'm so sick of the Freddie Freeman thing. Yeah. I'm so sick of it. It's ridiculous. Like, okay, so, yes, you come out of the lockout and you had all that stuff looming. Like, there's no way Freddie's not going to be a Brave, right? And then you have that emotional, he signs with the Dodgers, the Braves immediately trade for Matt Olson and they sign him to big money, money that they could have allocated to Freddie Freeman. You thought, man, that stinks. But the Braves made a good business decision. They went and got a guy five years younger who will will be better over the next eight years than Freddie Freeman. Um, and, you know, like probably it's a lower AAV. It's it's a way lower AAV. I think With more life. years. Yeah, with more years. So there we go. Um, problem solved. Alex Anthopoulos won that one. But then we get to this series in Atlanta this past weekend, and you see Freddie crying and not being able to take the podium for his press conference ahead of game one. And you see Clayton Kershaw's comments on Sunday Night Baseball saying, hope he gets something to the tune of hope he gets acclimated soon or, um, you know, hopefully he gets comfortable soon, um, insinuating that Freddie Freeman is not comfortable in his new clubhouse. And, and that's painfully obvious that he's not comfortable in his new clubhouse, and he would rather be at Truist Park still. And then we get this shit from Doug Gottlieb, which is baseless. Doug Gottlieb tweeted that Casey Close, who is the second super agent to Scott Boris, Casey Close of Excel Sports Management, um, withheld Atlanta's final offer from Freddie Freeman without identifying any source. He didn't even say it took another tweet for him to say, you know, MLB front office executives that I trust. Like, that's what he said. He said that. Quote, Casey Close never told Freddie Freeman about the Braves' final offer, and that is why Freeman fired him. Freddie came out and said that his relationship is, quote, fluid with Excel right now. He found out in Atlanta this weekend. It isn't that rare to have this happen in MLB, but it happened. Close knew Freddie would have taken the ATL deal. Casey Close response, quote, there is no truth whatsoever to what Doug Gottlieb recklessly tweeted, and I would testify to that under oath. We are currently evaluating all legal options in this manner. Under oath is a really big thing to say here. Why, Aram?
0: Well, it's pretty obvious that, you know, if this was true, um, I don't think that you would have Casey Close willing to go under oath here, right? Because it's pretty simple. Subpoena some people from the Braves and ask them what their final offer was, right? The Braves have no reason to lie under oath. And now Casey Close would not only lose his ability to, to be an agent. I, I'm, I would almost guarantee he would lose his, his license there. Yes. He also would perjure himself and potentially face prison time. Why would he do that? He's done $63.6 million in agent commissions as of, two years ago. So you could probably put that closer to the 70 to $80 million range. Yeah. Why would he throw that all away for a couple million in commissions? Because what, whatever the difference was in offers, assuming the Dodgers was higher, the Braves was a little bit less. And the fear was, Oh, Freddie loves Atlanta so much. He's going to take the discount. That money is nothing to close. Why would he throw his career away, throw his credibility away just because he wanted to squeeze out a few extra bucks. This is and the fact that he's willing to go under oath to me is the best like, put it all on the table, Doug. Put it all on the table. Put all the credit cards on the table, too, uh, and, and let's see what happens.
1: Um, I, I, I love the difference in language. I love the difference in tone. In, um, I don't want to say IQ because that's mean, but I'll, I'll be mean in this case because he tweeted something so baseless. Here is what Doug Gottlieb responded with. Quote, Freeman found out over the weekend just how close Atlanta had come in their final offer, called up Casey Close and said, you didn't tell me about this offer you're fired <laughs> this is excel's response quote doug gottlieb tweeted a wholly inaccurate characterization of our negotiations with the atlanta braves on behalf of freddie freeman we are immediately evaluating all legal options to address the reckless publication of inaccurate information which one are you trusting here <laughs> i know which um, one probably
0: the probably the guy that didn't face uh felony charges for credit card fraud which was there doug we gottlieb. go yeah um yeah, I would, I would probably say the guy that did not do that. Um, that, guy's has, Gottlieb, <laughs> yeah, that, that was Doug Gottlieb, by the way. Yeah, uh, that was Doug Gottlieb. You can Google it. Uh, he has, you know, a little bit of that shaky pass. And of course, everyone makes mistakes and they can move past it. But, you know, he's not really known as like the reporter, right? This isn't, this isn't John Heyman saying this. This isn't Ken Rosenthal. This is a guy that hardly covers baseball that maybe got a scoop from somebody that might feel like they're close to the situation. And it all kind of makes sense based on what we saw last week, right? Like you can put it all together and create this picture and it all seems believable, but at the end of the day, if you really take a step back and think about who Casey close is and what he represents and who he represents, which includes Paul Goldschmidt, Zach Ranky, Clayton Kershaw, Jason Hayward, Walker Bueller, and many others.
1: There we go. Is he
0: really willing to throw that away over what 15, $20 million in Freddie's contract, which would be, one to $2 million for him. Like that's a lot of money for us. For Casey Close, that's nothing. Uh, I am tired of the story. And I'm also, whether Freddie believes this or not, and whether that's why Freddie let him go or not, whatever that side of it, Freddie needs to grow the hell up. Oh, I'm with you. And and just play ball, man. You got paid. You're in LA. You made the decision. You made the decision. You're home. I understand that you grew up in Atlanta, basically from 20 to 32. Are thirty one, whatever it may be, but buddy, are we going to sit here and pout because you're playing for arguably the best team in baseball? With, by the way, I mean I, I'm not in the clubhouse in LA, but it's a lot of awesome dudes out there. I, I would venture to say that he's got some good teammates over there. I don't think it's that difficult to get acclimated. I, it's it's not a very polarizing clubhouse, as far as I'm concerned. Like Freddie, come on, man, just just play ball. And, and I know he's playing well, so yeah. it's more just. He hasn't done anything to combat these narratives. He could have said, I'm happy in L.A. I appreciated my time in Atlanta. I will forever consider Atlanta my home. And when I go in the Hall of Fame, I'll put a Braves cap on. He could even say that. But at the end of the day, man, he has done nothing to combat this narrative and continues to let it propel and let it grow. And it's distracting his team. And he is hurting his team no matter how well he performs right now.
1: Does it feel a little bit immature from Freddie Freeman? So I said,
0: Grow up, man. It feels and a lot of I love Freddie. And I want it to be clear Freddie has been nothing but a good ambassador for the game and for the Braves. And for, you know, he's a good dude by all, yes. by every stretch. But if I was being immature, I'd want you to tell me. And Freddie's being immature. And I'm sure there's more, there's more important people saying it right now
1: to mm-hmm. him he sulked all weekend in front of nationally televised audiences here. I mean, he was sitting on the dugout bench when every other Dodger was up on the dugout railing. Like that's what Freddie has been right now. He's just thinking about what was, and he's not moving forward to the next chapter of his career. And a reminder, his family's from there. Freddie Freeman is from there. He has gone and hit with his dad on off days this season. Do you know how important that is? Yeah. forgetting where I read this. Um, but I was reading it this morning when I was just trying to get a grip on what Doug Gottlieb thought he was doing here. Um, and obviously, like there are incentives for Excel to have their product, Freddie Freeman, who they represent in Los Angeles. Sure. More off the field opportunities for him. We saw Max Scherzer in the Intuit TurboTax commercials, like I was saying, when he was a Dodger. Freddie Freeman has more chances. He, went, like, he was on the cover of LA Mac a, a couple of weeks ago. He's also home again. So, and he also got more money, dude. Like, I don't know. I'll tie a bow on this, but one last thing. I feel so bad for Matt Olson, so bad because you have all this drama. Freddie Freeman is not thinking about what Matt Olson could be reading or listening to, or hearing. He's not thinking about what his teammates have to deal with. He's not thinking about what the Dodgers, he's not thinking about what the Braves are thinking right now. But think about the the shitstorm that Matt Olson just stepped into. He's from Atlanta. He just got home too. He signed a big deal with his hometown team. He grew up a Braves fan. This is a dream come true for him. He's one of the best first basemen on planet Earth. I think he will be better than Freddie Freeman over the next three years, let alone eight um, and here is Matt Olson being the forgotten one. And all of Atlanta media is talking about Freddie, all of baseball media is talking about Freddie because he had a spat with his agent and Doug Gottlieb's tweeting out baseless shit. Matt Olson is third in major league baseball and extra base hits right now. And he's playing for his hometown team. Go get him. I've never been a bigger fan of Matt Olson.
0: I know. And he's really handling it. Well, like he's you're not really it so seeing well, it. I, I would almost say like, Hey, we're surging. The Braves are hot. The Braves are playing right now. Freddie Freeman went to L.A. Let's focus on what's here. And you know what, dude? I know he got off to a slow start, but Matt Olson's heating up. Yeah. He is heating up. And over the last 12 games, four homers, 302, 387, 744 slash line. He's getting going. This might have lit a fire under Matt Olson a little bit. You know, dude. like, oh, you want to talk about Freddie Freeman? Well, I'm going to give you nothing else to talk about besides Matt Olson because I'm going to go yard every freaking day. He's locked in. He's just turned 28 years old. This guy could be one of the best hitters in the game over the next five years. You know, you said three, like you could even expand that, man. Like this guy was a Hank Aaron award finalist in one of the most cavernous ballparks in baseball in a shit lineup last year. Matt Olson, I think, is going to have one of the best second halves in baseball. This narrative aside, but I think this is going to light a fire under him a little bit. And the fact that the Braves are just now getting going, really, and kicking it into gear, and he's really just now getting going and kicking it into gear, look out for the Atlanta Braves because I don't think his teammates care. I don't think the teammates care that much for the most part about all of this Freddie Freeman stuff. I know sure as hell Ronald Acuna doesn't, but I yeah. can I can tell you, I think the Braves have already turned the page, and Freddie Freeman's kind of the, the ex that won't quite get over it. As, and Peter made that analogy on the last episode, and it's true. I yeah. think the Braves already moved on. I think the no. Braves are quite
1: happy. And, and we were talking to Tucker Davidson on Tuesday, man. And, and he said, listen, there's there's a young vibe in the clubhouse. There's a fun vibe. And Matt is, fit in, is fitting in. Uh, David O'Brien of The Athletic, who does great work, wrote an article earlier today, actually. So yesterday, uh, Matt Olson is the Braves' first baseman and teammates love him. That was the title of the article. That's all that matters. Moving on. Sandy Alcantara, over his last ten starts, has thrown seventy nine and two thirds innings. You were pointing at me though. Before we get to Sandy, what's up?
0: Sorry, and I never thought I would do this before, but since we were on the Braves, I wanted to talk Michael Harris.
1: Oh yeah, 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 Michael Harris Sorry. and Sandy.
0: Sorry, I just wanted to I just wanted to plug this article and also just talk about Harris because we talk about how the Braves have been performing well, and I think if you go back to when Michael Harris uh, first made his debut at the big league level. I don't know what the record would be. I wish I had it in front of me. It's actually the last part I'm going to put into this article, but he debuted in May 28th. And I mean, they've been red hot since then. Is it just Michael Harris? Probably not. I mean, their offense has been great across the board. Their pitching has been better, but there's a lot of, of kind of trickle down effects of having someone like Michael Harris. The Braves went into the season, not knowing who the hell was going to play center field uh, because Ronald Acuna junior back in 2020, said that he is more comfortable in right. The long-term plan for the Braves was always move Acuna to right, and hopefully one of the prospects will step up, most, most notably Christian Pache. I think they saw enough to realize that Pache wasn't going to be that guy, and that's why he was one of the centerpieces in the Matt Olson trade. So now, who the hell is playing center? Adam Duvall held his own last year, and they won the World Series, so they probably figured he can hold it down. We'll figure out what's going on there. Hopefully, Drew Waters steps up. Drew Waters has not hit. Michael Harris is a guy that they were planning on long-term, but I don't think they were planning on him being up at the big league level before the all-star break this year. This is a dude that had played less than 200 professional games period. And less than 150 above the rookie ball level. He has been so freaking good that they bump him all the way up from double A. We've talked about that in the past, but I want to talk about just what he's doing at the big league level. He allows Adam Duvall to move to a corner. And now since then pre Michael Harris era, Duval had a 50 WRC plus post Michael Harris era 110 more than doubled it. And not only that Michael Harris, and I'm not kidding. This is not an exaggeration. Since Michael Harris debuted, he has been the best defender in any outfield in all of baseball, the best. All we hear about is Pache's defense, Pache's defense. Well, take Christian Pache, make him a lefty and make him a 10 times better hitter. Actually, a thousand times better. hitter. Yeah. And you have Michael Harris. He is the number one in success rate added he's already fourth in outs above average and he's had way less opportunities check out the article i put out i have some clips in there of some of the catches he's made and some more data and, and numbers in there yeah. this guy i think a 21 year old really did help change the tide of this brave season not that it was bad but i really think he was the ignition that they needed
1: yeah well i i will push back here on michael harris i don't think he's that good because he doesn't walk much <laughs> what do you think about that your rebuttal arm, you're right. <laughs> uh, 30 games. He's got 12 extra base hits. He's got 15 RBIs. He's got 36 hits in 30 games, man. He's hitting 327 and he is the best defensive outfielder in the game. <laughs> it's
0: unbelievable. He's
1: 21-year-old. He is the third high school draftee in 2019 to make the Bix. It was Bobby Witt Jr., C.J. Abrams, and Michael Harris. I'm taking this one to have on a team that's contending this year. And he's off to the best start of all of them. Yes. I know Bobby Wood's doing great now, but Bobby Wood didn't start this way through the first 30. Oh, no, dude, I think Harris is bigger for the Braves right now. Obviously, like the Royals are in a totally different situation, the complete opposite situation. But, you know, I, I think that Michael Harris is the most impactful one of those guys and probably the most impactful rookie in all of baseball. You <laughs> think maybe Mackenzie Gore, right? But I, I think it's Harris.
0: I think the Padres, you know, obviously they're they're better off with Gore, but they're still in a good spot without Gore. I, I really do think a big part of the Braves, you know, success is because of Harris. And look, I don't think Harris is going to finish the year hitting 300. You talk about the walks, obviously like that's a joke. And we, we know that that's not like all of it, but at the end of the day, there, there's probably a little bit of regression coming. The 418 Babbitt, he's a good runner. He puts the bat on everything. Like they're, they're going to figure out some ways to poke holes in this 21 year old or, but even if he is not hitting great, he is so good defensively out there that he will be so valuable to this team. It doesn't need him to be insane. He could be the nine hitter who's just slaps the ball around and and steals bags and whatever. But he's already got three home runs. Hopefully finish the year with 12 to 15
1: he's slugging 510 in 30
0: games. He's good, man. And I, I just wanted to talk about him because it's so rare to see an internal option really be able to to elevate a team like this. Yeah. Uh, and Michael Harris is special. He is really special as a 21 year old to make the jump from double A and do this. You don't see this often. And I wanted to give him a little bit of love there because it is incredible to see what he's doing. And you got to have a special makeup too, to be
1: able to make that jump and, and fit right in and, and carry on right away. Look at us pouring love on Michael Harris and Matt Olson. (laughs) I mean, like this is ridiculous, man. I I'm a big Braves fan right now because of what Michael Harris is doing. And then like what I feel for Matt Olson and how he's handled it. Uh, Plus, I mean, Dansby is so likable. That pitching staff is so likable. I like
0: Austin Riley. I like Like, Riley.
1: Yeah, man. I love
0: Duvall. I liked him in Miami. Like he's he's so annoying to watch because he's just K or Homer, but like, One, I think still one of the most underratedly good defenders. Like the fact that that guy at 33 is holding down center with his size. Yeah. Like, but now they move him to corner and he can actually
1: hit. So that's exciting. But the Marlins, they let Duvall go and they could probably use him. Okay. But Sandy, now we transition over to Sandy. 79 and two thirds innings in his last 10 starts. That means he's (laughs) averaging eight innings a start over his last 10. The ERA is sub two. He's the best pitcher on planet earth right now. He just threw a complete game. He got a win two nights ago on 117 pitches and three strikeouts throws Dude. 100, three punch outs. And that's by, by design, yeah, like by I, design. This was,
0: so I think one of the coolest things I, I've had the opportunity to do um, is, is kind of see Sandy grow, not only on the mound, but uh, from the media perspective too, like, like, personally i am not going to pretend i'm friends with them or i know them but you know i I, that's the only stadium that i was first or the first stadium i was credentialed in we've only been credentialed in a few of them and and the first time i was credentialed there was by fish stripes and you know my my buddy eli sussman still the the managing editor and the the the, the, just the king over there that has grown that site so much the marlins SB nation site got them credentialed and got us credentialed there and right after the trade it was, it was right around the time Ozuna made his uh, return and that was a big deal. And Sandy yeah. actually got sent down, man. He got sent down because his command was so poor uh, and he just wasn't getting any Ks and they had just brought him back up. And that was the game I was covering. And the the Sandy that I saw there was similar still in a lot of ways to the Sandy I saw when I covered his start maybe a, a month ago or less. The difference is just a lot more confidence. But even back then, Sandy was like, I know what I need to do. I'm going to keep working to get there. And uh, I learned some things in the minor leagues, but I don't want to go back. And he never went back. And the the, the really amazing thing to me about Sandy is that he was soft-spoken then. He kind of was just the same. You could see like the way his wheels turn, his work ethic, his focus. And he's the same guy now. The only difference is he feels like he can get you any way he wants. And he talked about that in the last one where we were asking, you know, like what was working for you today? And he's like, I noticed I was getting more swings and misses on this pitch. So I leaned into it a bit more. But there's days where he's like, Yeah, I didn't have the slider going for me, or I didn't have the changeup going for me. So I pounded the bottom of the zone with the sinker and got ground balls. Like he's a guy that can adapt start to start. And it's so one of my favorite things to ask him. I think I've covered now four games that he started is what worked for you today and why? When did you figure it out? Sometimes he figures it out in the fifth inning. Yeah. He's like, wait, this is working better or these guys aren't picking this up today. And to me, that's what makes him so special. And that's why I think this guy's always going to be good.
1: So, yes, figuring it out in the fifth. But another thing that makes him so special and makes him so unique and puts him in the class with Verlander and Scherzer at the top of the game, at like literally the top of the food chain, Hall of Fame type pitcher went on, is he can get through the front four innings before he figures shit out in the fifth. Yep. That's incredible to me. Because, guys, like any normal human being, if you don't have your stuff, you're out of a Major League Baseball game in the second inning. These hitters are too good. These hitters
0: are too good, and and it's too hard to to get weak contact, right? Like, if you don't have the secondary,
1: it's all high-spin fastballs. And guys will just sit on that. You have to be a unicorn. And Sandy's nickname is now the unicorn because that's exactly what he is. You have to be a unicorn to get through starts without your best stuff like that saw Verlander do it, saw Scherzer do it, have seen Kershaw do it over the years, and I think that's it. Yeah.
0: And, and you know, we're watching twenty six. do
1: it. He's only 26. 26. Um, I'm looking at, because I, I know our default is F-War fan graphs, their war, uh, but I'm looking at B-War right now, because Sandy Alcantara, there's a different calculation that goes into all of it, and I won't get into the specifics there, but um, Sandy Alcantara leads all of Major League Baseball hitters or pitchers in B-War. He leads pitchers in war on baseball reference by a win and two tenths, 4.6. <laughs> Max Fried is next at 3.4. He's got 115.1 innings thrown so far, 115 and a third. The next best, and I know that starter innings pitch are skewed a little bit because certain guys throw one day and certain guys throw two days later, but I mean, when you're clear by nearly 20 innings, you're just objectively better at getting deep in games. Sandy is first. He's 115 and a third. Robbie Ray is next at 97 and two thirds. He's just lasting longer than everybody else.
0: And And that takes us to
1: four hymns.
0: (laughs) And what's amazing about this is he like, will go in a two and a half. This is what Don Mattingly said post game the other day. Is like, we're like, how do you juggle the, the like, desire to leave him in but also not wanting to run this guy in the ground which we'll get to from the last start because i know there's something that you really liked about that but you know he was like dude I, i can't even get sandy to relax tomorrow sandy will be here and he will work out for two and a half hours straight um and that's just the way he is and then when sandy came into the media room you know we asked what do you feel about like, how how do you feel about 100 plus pitches in, in five, six consecutive starts? And he goes, it's not enough. I want more. I think I can go 130 pitches. I think I can go 150. And I think you can too. You obviously don't want to run into the ground and there's no need to do that. But that's the mentality that this dude has. And it's one thing to say it. He means it. He wants to be out there. And if you see anytime he gets taken out, He's pissed. Even if his pitch count's 120, he doesn't care. I don't, I don't even think he checks the pitch count. It's how he feels. And he always feels good because he's a freak athlete who's big, strong, and also still just 26 years old. It's amazing.
1: I, I thought Paul Severino was the TV voice of the Marlins. He said it really well. And I, I'm going to reference this video that actually you retweeted and put out, Major League Baseball put it out as well. But you had a great note as well. You, you talked about the trust between Sandy and Don Mattingly. But Paul Severino in that clip, said this guy works tirelessly at finishing what he started he works for moments like that where he's at 115 pitches and don mattingly comes out to take the baseball and and sandy says fuck no this is mine yeah and that's what happens and you
0: know what i loved about it too is because you you know there were moments where sandy was pulled and he was pissed in the past and the marlins blew it because their bullpens shaky the back end whatever when when he got that
1: double play that double play ball what was the first thing that sandy did He pointed at Don Mattingly. So let let me set the scene for you. Bottom of the ninth, one out, men at first and second. Marlins have the lead 4-3. Sandy meets Don Mattingly in the rest of the infield. Mattingly comes out. Sandy, I'm sure he had his glove to his face, but I'm sure he said something like, you're not taking me out of this game. I'm staying in. I'm getting this. He was facing Edmundo Sosa, who is one of the faster guys in baseball. And what what does Sandy do? He rolls a tailor-made double play to end the game. It was perfect, and the trust there. And you're right. The first thing that Sandy did was point to the dugout, and the first thing that Don Mattingly did after he saw the return throw get the first to get Sosa is point right at Sandy. Those two trust each other, which is amazing to see especially because a lot of fans in Miami,
0: they don't love Don Mattingly. And and I think it's very difficult to to, to judge a guy that has not had a very good team to manage. I don't agree with many of the decisions that Don Mattingly makes, but I I always maintain that not many teams, fans of teams like their managers. Uh, But I will say in this case, it was so cool to see one of the best pitchers in the game right now, not just celebrate and say, like, I told you so, like, and, you know, I'll, I'll finish it was, thank you for trusting me. I will continue to prove you're right every time you trust me. And Don Mattingly saying, thank you for not getting me exposed and getting a million questions my
1: way. But like also thank you for for backing up what you said. And that's what it's all about. You said one of the best pitchers in the game at this point. Is he one of or is he the he is currently the but, you know, you got to earn that with macro success, right? Like
0: he's got to do this for the whole season to, to be considered the best pitcher in the game. How yeah. long does Jacob
1: deGrom need to be out for saying yeah, th- th-
0: that's a great question, man? I, I, I think we're at the point now where we got to kind of say that shit might might have sailed. Like, I, I think he can come back and be phenomenal in spurts and things like that. But are we ever going to expect Jacob deGrom
1: to go 200 innings plus? I might this, I might eat, eat crow on this. I have no idea. I hope so. If Degrom goes 230 innings next year, I will I, I'll do whatever anybody wants me to do. I, I would give up my personal like pinky for that to happen, I think. Yes. like
0: I, it, it is tough, but I just think it's hard to envision that happening at this juncture, you know and it sucks, but it, it, looking at the younger era, you know the younger players, who, who really competes with Sandy at this point at, at that level? like who who has that kind of again, he's 26. He's yeah. only going to get better.
1: I mean, the only guy and and way smaller sample size. The only guy is McClanahan right now. Yes, it's the only one. And he doesn't go doesn't go
0: deep in games. Like he's, he's a different going guy.
1: deep right now, but we'll see what happens when he doesn't have his best stuff. He's just had his best stuff every outing. Yeah, I don't know. Like, that's an acceptable answer. I'm,
0: I'm. I love Shane McClanahan, but I mean, yeah, it, it's it's hard to say that any team you have to win a game that Sandy Alcantara isn't the guy that you want on the bump. Cause you know, if you score three runs, you might not even need to go to your bullpen. Like your, your bullpen might have the night off almost every single time Sandy pitches.
1: Well, everybody except one on average gets the night off. Sandy's going eight innings, a start over his last 10 starts, flipping the page, Hector Gomez, who is hit or miss with his <laughs> report sometimes he, he is way short of the mark. Sometimes he is spot on early. Here's what he just put out yesterday. Source, talks are intensifying between the Nationals and Juan Soto regarding a second offer from the team for 13 years, $425 million. That's pretty spot on. He's sitting 224. He sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he's walking. So he's.
0: he's <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's all matter. No, it's all. I mean, this poor guy. I, I, I want to see the contract get taken care of, obviously. Um, but once that contract's taken care of, what incentive does Soto have at that point? Because this poor guy is seeing nothing to hit, zero to hit. And he's walking nearly 20% of the time. 224 batting average is just victim of circumstance. And I think if it was up to him, like if he really focused on just getting on base as much as possible and not taking his cuts, I think he could walk 35% of the time. No one wants to pitch to him. There's no reason to. But to, to get to your point, I think that's right on. Like, I people might say, oh, but but Soto's worth this or that. I maybe he is worth more, technically speaking. But at the end of the day, this is a dude that you know, I, I look at at a certain level how much value are you getting on a team basis? So I'm going to hit four, maybe five times a game, and he's not the best defender in the world. I, I just don't see how you can go much higher than that. That is a lot of freaking money. He's worth it. Uh, but, you know, I, I know people might be saying, well, maybe you should get more. Maybe you should get more. I, I, I don't know if you can really go much higher than that for Juan Soto, because, again, only uh, one position player can only impact the game so much for you. Mike Trout's playing elite defense and center. It's a little bit different.
1: That's that's a little short of thirty three million AAV um, through his age thirty six season. Yeah, yeah, that's
0: about right, because. You also got to remember that right now, I mean, the the Nationals could play out the years of, of arbitration. They lose leverage, but he would be making significantly less money in AAV. So technically speaking, you know, on the back end, it's probably worth a lot more than that if you if you really factor in how much he's going to make over what he would have been making in arbitration. So, I mean, it's a no brainer deal for both sides. What are we fighting over 10, 20 million one way or another? I, I don't think a right fielder should be a $500 million guy. Honestly, the only guy that should be 500 million is Shohei Ohtani because he's two players for one. Yes. That's just really the way I look at it. And, um, I, I think you could you could make the argument based on other contracts that you know certain guys are worth that, but I don't think any baseball player
1: is worth that. I saw a note. Uh, Shohei Ohtani leads the Angels in at-bats and innings pitched. Yeah. like That's incredible. That's insane. I mean, think, so obviously the success is there, but he's on the field all the time. If you're watching an angels game, he is the at bat leader, which means that he's coming to the plate more than everybody else. um, Although plate appearances, not to get technical. And then he is leading the pitching staff in innings pitched. So he is throwing more than anybody else. He's hitting more than anybody else on that team.
0: (laughs) It's insane. And also like he got off to a slow start. He has been swinging it a lot better lately. A lot better. He's also,
1: lately. throwing so well right now.
0: Yeah. So, what do you think Shohei's been doing over his last, like,
1: since June 6th or 7th, excuse me, since June 7th? Since June 7th at the plate. Mm-hmm. Is he slugging 550? So, the answer is that's over the last 20
0: games, by the way. What do you think he's been doing over the last 20 games? Is his OPS at 1,000?
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> what is wow. it? It is he's hitting 333, 425, 681. That's a 201 WRC plus. 347 ISO over his last 20 games. Oi. And then on the pitching side, you talked about it. I mean, he's been How about on the bottom? lately too. I mean, Even over June. his last, you know, over that same over that same span in June, he's got a one five two ERA. Yeah. 29 and two thirds innings. He's punched out 38. So not only has he been one of the best hitters in baseball over, you know, over the span of June, he's also been one of the best pitchers in baseball over the span of June. He's back to that MVP Otani. And all of a sudden we're going to have this crazy debate again is, oh shit. I know some guys are having historic seasons. I know Aaron judge is having a historic season, but if Otani does this the rest of the way, and I know this is, this is only one month, but we're right back at square one of the Vladdy situation where it's, Well, how can you give it to somebody that's one of the best pitchers and one of the best hitters in the game? How can you not give it to that guy? We might have that conversation again, Jack, even if Judge hits 60.
1: Yeah, I'm looking at these odds right now. I'm trying to find, like, the most up-to-date odds here, and it looks like Shohei is plus 300 to win AL MVP and Judge is minus 130. I feel like Shohei makes all the sense in the world there. And look, I mean, judge,
0: judge has to hit 60, which I think he might, has to hit 60 to, to win this award, assuming Otani continues on this trend. Otani could hit the wall. I mean, he even, like, swung a few times yesterday, and he looked like he twinged his back. I was watching late at night, and that freaked me out, but apparently he seems fine. But if Otani continues on this trend, my goodness, uh, you can't give it to somebody else.
1: dude. Um, oh, last thing from me. Josh Naylor was hilarious on Wednesday night walk off bomb Tito Francona slaps on a helmet and Naylor takes Tito's head and slams it into his I mean it was just football player on crack it was so fun to watch that guy's electric and if Josh Naylor is supplying that you know the electrifying moments everybody else can deal with the first nine innings of the game here I think Cleveland is is set up to be buyers at the end of this month? Dude,
0: they've got to be. And by the way, Naylor's a maniac. Um, and I love it because- Maniac. I, to me, nothing makes me care about the sport more than seeing the guys who are playing it care about the sport. You know, if you're a fan and you see the players not really care, then how are you going to care? You're right. But Naylor being that fired up, you know, <laughs> for a re- regular season dog days, and I know it was like a sick comeback, but I mean, just seeing him that fired up was freaking awesome. So, I I'm always here for that kind of just just nuts activity and behavior. And you know what? That guy's swinging it really well. The Guardians, we talked about the influx of capital that they have now, uh, you know, w- with the investment. Yeah. I think they're buyers, man. They've got so much organizational depth. They can so easily make their team better, so easily. And I think, you know, we're seeing JRam slump a little bit as of late. The guy has no protection. Get J-Ram some protection, and he's going to be a problem because he's swing-happy. He loves to go after the first pitch. He loves to swing a lot. He hits everything, but he's seeing less in the zone. Get that man some protection. Who would you you like to see? Yeah, I was going to ask you. Who would you Uh, like to see?
1: I don't know. I don't – like Wilson Contreras. I wouldn't hate – like,
0: low-cost, I would love Josh Bell, what he's been doing lately. I'd put him at DH. Uh, i like Josh
1: Bell. Wilson Contreras could be a good add be a good rental um ian hap hap possibly i mean benny like even though it's in division i, I don't think there's going to be much stopping them from benintendi but neither I don't team think cares they're... i don't think that yeah i don't i don't think the yeah. royals
0: care and guess what the, the guardians can give them some
1: pitching um
0: and that would be a good deal for them too i i also would love to see them just shock the world and do something huge like go go big like go get brian reynolds like go get so like um, and I'm interested to see if the pirates, I think the pirates will trade Reynolds. I don't know if it's this year, but I think they will, because it seems like the, the, the extension negotiations don't seem to be coming together the way they have, they were supposed to, or people expect. And at the same time, I mean, you're seeing it, you're in triple, uh, you know, with the pirates organization, they've got some sneaky, good outfielders there. And they've got a lot of middle infielders that like, they've got to find spots for them in the outfield or somewhere else. I, I think that, where the Pirates are at is an org. They're heading in the right direction. There's a lot to like. I don't know if the timeline totally lines up to pay Brian Reynolds. You could argue that the Pirates need more pitching. They could make a blockbuster deal and get a huge haul. And now all of a sudden, this is one of the deepest farm systems in baseball, already is, with good big league talent. I think it might make sense to trade Brian Reynolds. What, what say you, Jack?
1: Uh, I don't know. I It's tough because like, I am super, super high on what I've seen from G1 Bay this year. And I feel like he can be the center fielder for the pirates. Um, and, and Sawinski is obviously a corner outfielder of the future for them. He's raking right now. The batting average is pretty low, but I mean, he, he's leading all rookies and bombs, I think. And then you've got other pieces that you can, you know, plug and push here. Cal Mitchell had a rough go first time up, but I think Cal Mitchell is going to be a really good player. I think player. he's legit. Yeah. I think Kanan Smith and Jigba is pretty legit too. And I think, you know, maybe you can put O'Neill Cruz out there for a little bit if Leo Verpiguerro has to play short. And then obviously you've got all those middle infielders like you were talking about. And Brian Hayes locked up long-term at third. So I, I do think that Brian Reynolds could be on the move. I think there's enough young talent to um, make him, I don't want to say dispensable, but, you know, make him not untouchable. And I think that Cleveland can put the package together. I think pitching would be awesome. For Pittsburgh right, I could you if imagine you, if they got you know
0: a- anybody not named Espino you know, they can get Logan Allen they can I'm get, thinking like, a, these- a
1: Logan Allen and a
0: Tanner Burns like that changes everything because Logan Allen could be up next year just got promoted to AAA and yeah. and his numbers are insane and you know that would just, I think that would just change a lot for, for the Pirates' outlook. And I know Reynolds is their best player, and I know he's, he's starting to really heat up. But the other reason why I like it is I think the outfield market's getting a little thinner with the way the Orioles are playing. I don't think Cedric Mullins is available. Yeah. Uh, he was already not looking like he was available. And I think the Orioles said, Hey, maybe our timeline's a little bit sooner. I don't think they trade Cedric.
1: Hey, Gunner hit for the cycle earlier this week. Thing on that, uh, he's amazing. He's, the, the whole org, it's, it's one of the –
0: offensively, they are set. Gunnar Henderson should be up tomorrow. I, was it you that texted me? What's the ETA on Gunner? Or someone someone texted me what's the e-? – I think it was actually T. So T. Wright, uh, our collectibles writer, and, and also has wild card breaks or they're ripping cards. And I was saying buy every Gunnar Henderson card that you can before it's too late, and I did. I just bought a ton. Um. He said, what's the ETA on Gunnar Henderson? Like, when do you think he'll be ready? I said yesterday, now? yesterday, ETA wise before the end of the year. Those are two different questions. He's ready right now. Uh, the Orioles might be soon one of the more fun and it, they already are getting there with the way Adley's swinging it. You bring Gunner up there. Probably one of the most exciting teams in baseball
1: to watch uh, and offensively. And then G-Rod, I- I'm so in. Dude, they missed the boat on the birthday present getting him called up but i think he hit for the cycle on his birthday he turned 21 the day
0: before or like then yeah or turned, on his birthday he turned 21 so cool. on
1: wednesday so we could celebrate with a miller High Life. i love it i love
0: it and he's probably never had one before
1: yeah um, i gotta
0: do one more thing on an orioles prospect i sent this to you while i was uh in the bathroom before our recording i don't know if
1: If you saw it. I appreciate Um, transparency. Yeah. Yes.
0: Colton Cowser, who I love as a prospect. I think he's going to be a really good outfielder as well. Uh, According to his roommate, John Rhodes, O's prospect Colton Kowser is building a 7,500 piece Lego Millennium Falcon on their dining room table. Rhodes hasn't been able to eat there in weeks. We love Colton. Colton is Colton. I don't know if you can see it. That's what the Millennium Falcon looks oh, like. He's,
1: yeah, he's building this Star Wars ship. Yeah. What a weirdo. I love it. No, I appreciate that. Lego people. They're, they are among us, Lego people.
0: I love it. Joe, it reminded me of Joey Weimer. <laughs> you know, and Joey Weimer, talking about how he, he goes home and plays Minecraft and watches uh, Family, Family guy. guy.
1: This is a dude that knows how to unplug. Colton Cowser is going to be a big leaguer. I guarantee it. A hundred percent. All right. Um, have a good weekend, everybody. We're coming back at uh, some No, not tomorrow. We're coming back on Monday and we're going to talk about the weekend of ball, by the way, real quick. Uh, last night. So we're recording on Thursday. Oakland is starting a guy named Adrian Martinez. Have you ever heard that name before? Like a million times. There's probably like eight Adrian Martinez is in. Imp-
0: pro baseball
1: yeah i had never seen the name adrian martinez a right-handed pitcher for the oakland A's, and I, i'm i'm the first to raise my hand but i've never heard of him oh, I, don't, I don't know player. an oakland
0: A's adrian martinez but i feel like i've heard that name a million times yeah, in different dude. contexts he's starting against logan gilbert so
1: i think i know who's gonna win the game adrian martinez of course yeah like eight <laughs> two yes all right we'll talk to you on monday guys